Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. On Friday, we left off with St. Paul leaving Corinth, along with Priscilla and Aquila, but before they sailed from Sancria, he had his hair cut, ending the Nazarite vow he had taken, the Nazarite vow that we read about on Friday in Numbers chapter 6. Well, after the haircut, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Paul's typical way of beginning his work. Go to the synagogue, speak to the Jews. He had access there. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll be back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea Maritima, he went up and greeted the church there, and then went down to his home church of Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul then set out from there and traveled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, Paul, on the first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark, for a while, traveled through the interior of Asia Minor to these very places. And then Paul, on the second missionary journey, traveled back through them. So now he's on the third cycle. Meanwhile, as Paul is traveling, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, Egypt, came to Ephesus. Apollos. I love that name. And you can just picture Apollos as we continue on here. Now, he was a very learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue at Ephesus, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos from Alexandria, Egypt. There was a very large population of Jews in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria was the center of learning of this part of the world, the eastern portion of the Roman Empire. And Apollos was highly skilled in rhetoric, highly skilled in scripture, and he had learned all about Jesus, but only up to John's baptism of Jesus. He didn't get the message. He never got the text message. He never knew about Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they were mightily impressed with his rhetorical flair and his presence. But they said to him, we'd like to talk more about this with you, and we'd like to invite you to our home for dinner. Would you, would you come? And Apollo said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to come. So he did. And during dinner, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. They said, everything you said in your talk today is exactly right. Jesus had a wonderful three-year public ministry, but in AD 32 in Jerusalem, he was arrested, tried by the Sanhedrin, turned over to the Romans, 
given a death sentence, was crucified. And Apollo said, oh no. Yes, he was. But three days later, he was resurrected. Really? Well, they sat up until late at night talking about this. So Apollos, now having the full message, wanted to go to Achaia, that is, to Greece, to Corinth. And the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So Priscilla and Aquila filled him in on the full message. Apollos embraced it completely and then went to Corinth, the church Paul had founded, and he was a mighty witness there and a teacher. And I think Apollos, just the name itself, and he was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, I'll bet he was tall and handsome, had long flowing hair, beautifully trimmed beard, suntan. Why, he was the televangelist of the day, and people in Corinth loved him. Now, later on, when Paul will write his first epistle to the church at Corinth, Paul learns that there's trouble in Corinth. Some are saying, we follow Paul. Others are saying, we follow Peter. And others, we follow Apollos. So there were factions and divisions developing in the church, even at this point. But now Apollos heads for Corinth, and we turn back in our story to chapter 19 of Acts. Now, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So Paul continues through the southern portion of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he arrives at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he asked them, Huh, there were no disciples when Paul left there, and Paul always went to new territory where no one had been. So Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, The Holy who? We, we never heard about a Holy Spirit. What's that? And Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. That is, what Apollos had been teaching early on. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the, into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. There were only about 12 men in total, but the church began with 12 men. Not a bad start. So Paul entered the synagogue once again, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So Paul lasts for three months in the synagogue at Ephesus. Paul didn't last more than a couple of days in any other synagogue. Why three months in Ephesus? Well, Ephesus was a, an extraordinary city utterly extraordinary. 
Ephesus was founded as an Attic Ionian colony in the 10th century BC. It's a natural deep water port. And Ephesus was one of the 12 cities in the Ionian League during the classical Greek period. In Roman times, Ephesus was a magnificent city with a population of around 250,000 people. Remember our rule of thumb about archeology? span Find the theater, count the seats, multiply by 10. Well, the theater at Ephesus seats about 25,000. Thus, the population was around a quarter of a million people. A big city in the ancient world. Along with Rome and Syrian Antioch, Paul's home church, Ephesus was one of only three cities in the Roman Empire with street lighting at night. The splendor of the city, beckoning sailing ships and illuminating the night skies. Around 550 BC, the Temple of Artemis, or Diana as the Romans called her, was built in Ephesus. A staggering structure. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Antipater of Sidon compiled the seven wonders in the second half of the second century BC. And here's what he said about the temple of Artemis. He writes, I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by Alpheus, and the hanging gardens of Babylon, and the Colossus of the Sun in Egypt, and the labor of the Great Pyramids, and the vast tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the house of Artemis in Ephesus that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliance. And I said, Lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. A fabulous city in every way. On February 27th, AD 380, by decree of the Emperor Theodosius I, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And unfortunately, after this monumental step, Theodosius began to stamp out the pre-Christian religions in his lands. Sadly and shamefully, 21 years later in AD 401, a mob led by none other than St. John Chrysostom, who was then Bishop of Ephesus, destroyed the Temple of Artemis. All that remains of the temple today is a single column of random fragments erected on the site. We've traveled to Ephesus many a time and we've seen that fragmented column standing in a field all by itself with a stork's nest up on top. Well, Later, the Emperor Justinian in 532 used the columns that had been there at the Temple of Artemis in building the great church of Hagia Sophia in what today is Istanbul, Constantinople of the time. Now, adding to the splendor and intellectual importance of Ephesus, in AD 132, Gaius Julius Aquila 
erected the Library of Celsus in honor of his father, a Roman senator. The library housed 12,000 scrolls, making it one of the three great libraries of the ancient world, along with Alexandria in Egypt and Pergamum in Asia Minor. In AD 262, a fire devastated the library and destroyed the contents. Today, only the facade survives, a reminder of the achievements of one of the most dazzling cities in the ancient world. And every time we travel to Ephesus, every time any group travels to Ephesus, they get a group picture in front of the Library of Celsus, the front facade. So Ephesus, in the Roman Empire, and think of the Roman Empire, it's not Rome and Italy and the Northern Territories. No, the Roman Empire is the entire landmass surrounding the Mediterranean. Half of the Roman Empire was in North Africa. So how would you travel within the Roman Empire? Now, the Romans built over 58,000 miles of roads, and they're very good roads. Many still exist, and we've walked on some of them. But the most efficient way to travel was by ship. And the three major hubs in the Mediterranean world, the Roman world, were Alexandria, Egypt, Ephesus, and Corinth. If you look at a map of the ancient maritime routes in the Roman Empire, it looks like an airline map with from all over the landmass surrounding the Mediterranean, all these routes, scheduled routes, to and from Alexandria, Ephesus, and Corinth. Remember Paul sailed from Corinth to Ephesus and then from Ephesus over to Caesarea Maritima. It was a major hub, the major deep water port of Asia Minor. So that's where Paul goes. Now after traveling his first missionary journey, 46 to 48, second missionary journey, 50 to 52, and now 54, he's on the way back through the territories to Ephesus. And Paul had a major epiphany, a brilliant insight. Paul thought to himself, you know, I've been traveling from place to place, city to city, town to town, village to village, proclaiming the gospel. It was very effective, but it wasn't very efficient. So when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he recognized an opportunity. He recognized that from Ephesus, he could get the gospel message out to the entire Roman world and never leave Ephesus. Because all those people traveling, passing through Ephesus, Paul could speak to them. And they could take the message where they were going. I'll be darned. Paul founded hundreds of churches by remote control from Ephesus. Well, Paul's time in Ephesus was certainly important. And he spends nearly three years there. So Paul finally leaves the synagogue. After three months, he's no longer welcome. Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. So every day, Paul would hold class in a lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, near, I would expect, 
the library, what later became the Library of Celsus. That wasn't built until the 100s, but right in the center of town. This went on for two years. So that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Again, by remote control, the travelers attending Paul's lectures at the lecture hall of Tyrannus, then later getting on board ship and going back home or traveling into the interior. What a brilliant move. And I like to think of that in my own ministry. I had taught verse by verse through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, in church after church, parish after parish, why, I was teaching nine classes a week in live locations and driving almost 3,000 miles a month just going to and from classes. And then something remarkable happened. I discovered the internet. And sure enough, got the website up, had all the lectures recorded, put them on audible.com, and today, Tens of thousands of people listen to Logos Bible Study on Audible and on our website, logosbiblestudy.com, in the online classroom. Today, in fact, after COVID-19, there are no live classes. We can't have live classes anymore. But the groundwork was laid. The groundwork was laid. And the Holy Spirit directed that. And by golly, there are more people hearing teaching verse by verse through the Bible today than there ever were when I was spending 3,000 miles a month driving around. Paul learned the very same thing. I learned it from Paul. Well, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. None through me that I know of, but quite extraordinary. Even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And the evil spirits left them. Now, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. It's like Simon the Magician. I would like that gift, right? I could, I'll pay a lot for it. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them. He gave them such a beating, they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> oh, I just love that. <laughs> well, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear at the name of the Lord Jesus. It was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, it came to 50,000 drachma. 50,000 drachma. That's about $10 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
I have to admit, I have a problem with that. Now, the Great Library of Celsus had not yet been built. That won't be until the 100s. But you don't build a great library if you had nothing to put in it. Ephesus was a great city with a theater that seated 25,000 people, with the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a quarter of a million people, the maritime hub, one of three, for travel within the Roman Empire. There were a lot of scrolls. A lot of scrolls on what, sorcery? Well, no. Classical literature, philosophy. There were the works of Plato, the works of Aristotle, the, uh, the, the great Greek dramatists. All these scrolls were brought together and publicly burned. They had a book burning. How do you think St. Paul reacted to that? Paul was a highly educated person, not only in Judaism, but in classical learning. When we study St. Paul's epistles and letters, they are masterpieces of classical Greek rhetoric. Paul had an enormously well-rounded education. Somebody who loved books. In fact, when Paul's in prison in the AD 60s, 64 to 68, when he's arrested again and he's on death row, he writes 2 Timothy. He writes to his young protege, Timothy. And he asked Timothy, when coming to Rome and passing through Troas, where Dr. Luke lived, would you stop at Luke's house and pick up my heavy cloak, because it's pretty cold here, and please bring some of my books, especially the scrolls, the older books. So Paul loved books. He knew the value of books. He knew the value of classical learning. And he saw all those scrolls go up in flames publicly. I think he was horrified. We read in verse 21 of chapter 19, after all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little bit longer. So Paul determines after the book burning, to leave Ephesus, to leave his greatest missionary effort. I think Paul had a very difficult time with that book burning. So what's going to happen? Paul is determined to leave. On Wednesday, we'll find out how he leaves. Okay, there we are, folks. See you on Wednesday. Blessings to you. And keep me in your prayers if you would. I will you in mine. Bye-bye now.